Welcome to Navigant on Healthcare, offering insights for healthcare leaders striving for success in an evolving industry. Welcome everyone to uh, what we hope to be a very exciting uh, presentation. Uh, the, the topic today is very valid given where we are with uh, healthcare and the transition from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. And so having this discussion around clinical integration strategies to drive value-based care um, is something that's going to be very important for many organizations. Really the realization that many healthcare systems can't clinically integrate and manage populations on their own or even with their employed medical groups. Clinically integrated networks have become really a vehicle of choice to align providers across the continuum, both employed as well as independent providers, primary care as well as specialists, to drive outcomes. And we can see the significant growth that's happened with clinically integrated networks, ACOs, other entities that are really uh, being brought together to drive triple aim performance. The challenge that we're probably all aware of is that as we look at the data that's out there from MSSP and other reported information, uh, year after year, we only see about a quarter of ACOs reporting a degree of quality and cost improvement that's leading toward shared savings. So we're left with the question of asking, is it valuable to invest in clinical integration strategies and other accountable care population health strategies to drive performance? And while we ask ourselves that question as providers, uh, we have to realize that the results that are being produced for the government and for other payers, other purchasers of healthcare, are very meaningful. Uh, where millions of dollars are being generated for the government and payers, regardless if we hit the minimum threshold for shared savings or not. Furthermore, there's goals that are out there from CMS around advanced payment models, wanting 30% uh, of payments by the end of uh, 2016 to go through some form of alternative payment model. And also, as we look at uh, fee-for-service reimbursements that are tied to quality, around 85% of that happening through some tie of quality by 2018. So whether we like it or not, we feel it's fair or not, the movement from fee-for-service to fee-for-value will continue. So the question that we really need to ask as providers is what does that mean and how can clinical integration really serve as a strategy to help us be successful moving forward? And what we really believe as Navigant, and you'll hear this from our speakers today based on their experience, is that clinical integration cannot be a noun. It's not sufficient, it's not a successful strategy to only create a legally compliant organization and expect for us to deliver the results that the market is looking for. We believe here at Navigant that clinical integration must be a verb. It must really describe a set of actions that happen across your network that are really geared to demonstrate real results that successfully trans uh, transition towards value-based care that we can deliver towards the market. So, Dr. Shields, uh, we welcome and excited to have you today. I look forward to hearing more from you about what foundation truly needs to be in place in order for a clinical integration strategy to be successful. Well, thank you very much, Dennis. It really all starts with culture. It's having physicians across specialties uh, agree that by working together and by driving quality, patient safety, and cost effectiveness, then they can be successful as a business entity. And it's critically important, as we'll talk about later on, to partner with the health system. In some places, physicians are uh, going alone on this, but there are enormous advantages to partner uh, with, a, uh, with a health system. 
having the physician leaders who buy into this culture uh, is, uh, is the key starting step, but then you need to support those physicians with training and governance. Just because a physician is effective in the OR or in the uh, consultation room does not mean that they can manage a $100 billion a year enterprise. Uh, so physicians need to, to have that support and training. And then docs need to be supported with infrastructure. You need to give them practical tools that will make a difference um, uh, in their day-to-day -day work in driving quality, patient safety, and cost effectiveness. You'll be asking doctors to do things in new ways and uh, to do new things. So they need to be paid for that and uh, to have the financial support uh, to uh, uh, have their staff engaged uh, with them. Transparency of results we know will drive performance even without financial incentive. So agreeing across your network that physicians will be able to see how their peers are functioning and how they rank compared to their peers will be very important. And then summing the success of the network across all of the physicians uh, will be very important to feed back to the physicians and to feed back to payers and to the marketplace. Uh, that will help develop the pride in performance, which will drive the culture even further. We need to really make a uh, key what's in it for me argument for each of the key components of the uh, successful clinically integrated network. Patients need to understand uh, what's in it uh, for them. It's better care, better experience, and lower cost. What's in it for physicians? It's better care, it's more patients, and it's better pay. And for hospitals, it's better care and alignment with physicians. Yeah, th thanks a lot, Mark, and completely agree with your comments about culture and also being market responsive as we're creating relationships with uh, payers. Now we're going to move the conversation back to uh, Dr. Joe, uh, Joseph Basile. And you can see from the screen here, uh, Dr. Basile is president and CEO of Greater Rochester IPA, as I mentioned, one of the first uh, clinically integrated networks to achieve uh, FTC approval. Dr. Basile, we appreciate you joining us today and look forward to your comments on how we can really move towards true clinical integration and transformation to drive value for the patients that you all are serving. So, Dr. Basile, welcome. All right. Thank you, uh, Dennis. It really is a pleasure to be here today. And what I think you're going to hear is I'm going to support and echo uh, much of what Mark uh, discussed. A lot of what we do, or much of what we do, really starts with data. Uh, Grippa has a data uh, repository where we're able to take detailed claims uh, information from the insurers for those contracted members, and we're able to match that up with clinical data. Uh, and that's really the foundation for the uh, reports that we use to run our population health program. So, you know, briefly, some of the reports that uh, we have, we have a gaps in care uh, report. So through the claims, we, we will know the name of a patient, we'll know uh, the patient's uh, physician, uh, we'll know what diagnosis they have. Let's say they have diabetes. At that point, uh, we'll use our uh, data repository and our analytics to look and see if that person has had, or that patient has had the appropriate testing. So we'll make sure they have a hemoglobin A1C. If they don't have a hemoglobin A1C, those reports, or that will end up on a report that uh, goes to our physician to look into and to ensure that they have the appropriate testing. It's been a very powerful, uh, very simple, data-driven report 
to move uh, care and to improve quality. Uh, another place we look are our high-risk, uh, high-cost uh, patients. Their algorithms look for those patients, but uh, there's really no mystery to what they are. So if we have a patient who's age 65 and older, uh, has 12 ED visits, has had uh, 15 uh, different physicians part of their care, and they're on six medications, uh, and they're high cost over a certain threshold, uh, they will appear on our reports. And that's where we engage our active care management program to try to find out what's, what's going on. It could be that the patient uh, has medications prescribed, but they're not filling them. Could be something as simple as not being able to get to their clinic appointments, and our experienced care management team is really to make is really able to make appropriate interventions. We have had some uh, significant savings that we have been able to document. Uh, another part of our program is how we actually engage our uh, physicians. Uh, the first bullet I can't overemphasize uh, is just simple communication. Could be a lot of dinner meetings, could be larger group meetings, could be phone calls. We have a very active CMO that visits over 400 physicians in a given year. Much of his job is really uh, getting into a car and going and visiting the physicians in their offices. So, you know, while we talk about high tech and data, uh, there's really no substitute for one-on-one -on -one communication with the physicians. Our incentive methodology, and I'll show uh, an example of that in a moment, is really tied to the performance in the contract. Uh, like I said, uh, we make a, made a decision that we were going to uh, pay for actually moving the dial. Easy to read and understand, meaningful scorecards for our physicians was been instrumental. Uh, with that is transparency. All of our physicians, our primary care docs, which is where our program is mainly centered right now, can see uh, their score and the score of their pairs uh, on all the quality metrics by name. So you can see where you end up and where your, uh, where your peers are by, by name. And just that transparency itself has moved the dial. So uh, as organizations begin to enter this world, the quicker you can get to a point where you have transparency, especially around quality reporting, the better off you will, uh, you will be. The other goal that we have is to aggregate all of our physician contracts and then create one, or aggregate all our payer contracts and create one actionable report for our physicians. We want to make sure that they're not, you know, practicing in different ways for different uh, insurers, but they're able to look at their patient population as one and to care for them in the same way. And as we add more contracts, that becomes easier to do. Yes, thanks a lot, Joe, and appreciate your comments about you can align your governance, align analytics reporting, specific initiatives around pharmacy, and tying that all together with your incentive model to drive performance. And so, appreciate the comments there. We're uh, very excited about Matt Hussman being on the uh, the line with us today. Again, he is the director of population and practice management analytics for Henry Ford Health System. Uh, Matt, welcome today, and look forward to your comments. Thanks, Dennis. This is really what we've been focusing on here at Henry Ford Health System about population health. And I'm going to kind of go around this circle starting in that corner with Epic. And this is actually the, even the journey that we took as we were trying to build our data warehouse. So starting in that corner, you know, we already have access to a lot of information in your EMR. Um, so we try to take that information and, and organize it so that way it's more easily reportable for our physicians. So, you know, I've heard a lot of people, you know, we're talking about HEDIS, we're talking about quality scores there's information that's already in EPIC that is great to pull from 
Um, so we worked on really standardizing that information in there so we can report on it very quick and cleanly. And then next we really moved on to building out physician panels. And so this really even wasn't part of, uh, I think, what we're talking about on the population health side, but this is more of that community where all the patients that our, our primary care physicians touch. You know, is it a non-insured patient, a Medicaid, a Medicare, you know, a commercial patient? So we created panels so that way we know that when we say, are, are, we, are we delivering value for all of our patients, we look to those panels. We also brought in U.S. Census data. It's free. You can go out there and just download uh, the U.S. Census data. That really helps us uh, drive our risk stratification of our patients about understanding some socioeconomic information about them. Uh, we also brought in our Prescani. We use them as our patient experience. So now we also have the ability to report on our physicians through that patient experience lens. Our MyHin ADT feed, which that is our the state of Michigan, that's our HIE. So we connect to that to know if one of our patients gets discharged from a hospital uh, anywhere in the state. We know the next day and we can follow up with them appropriately. And then this last one I think is where a lot of people always try to go and focus on, which is a, definitely a critical spot, but it's your eligibility and claims feeds. So it's trying to bring in all of those patient files, know who your patients are, and the claims data that kind of completes the loop about the patients if they go outside your health system. And one thing just to note on that site too is if you're starting the journey, I would highly suggest starting with those eligibility files first. Um, getting that data uh, stored in your warehouse, you know, it opens up a lot, especially as you connect it back to your EMR. Some lessons that we've learned, you know, kind of over our, you know, decade or so of doing this type of work. So the first thing is that the core of the work of the, of the data shouldn't be completed by a vendor. And it's something that we got in trouble with early on and, and quickly found, found that one out. And I'm not trying to say that you should not be working with an external vendor. I think they can be a, a great strategic partner in this journey, and, and we have vendors that we use as strategic partners. But if you're going to be a data-driven or data-focused organization, there's going to be a lot of questions where you just need access to that raw data to be able to pivot it in the, to be able to answer the specific questions that the organization is going to ask. And then so on that side, I would really say, too, for your analyst team to really think about how to best structure your data. So the things I was showing on these slides, we have this where the file comes into the health system automatically. It's then loaded into our warehouse automatically, and our reports are, are published from that automatically. And that takes a while to get that all set up. But as we set that up, now we don't have to worry about it. We can set it on a timer. They just run. And that frees up our team then to focus on the issues that are facing us today. Matt, we, we certainly appreciate your, your comments. You all at Henry Ford have been at this for a while and have been managing risk contracts and associate, associated the, the data sources to manage that risk population for a long time. Also, thank you to Mark and, and Joe for the robust uh, conversation and presentation that we've had today. That concludes today's episode. Be sure to check in with us for future installments of the Navigant on Healthcare podcast series on navigant.com forward slash healthcare podcast. Navigant on Healthcare is a podcast series produced by Navigant's Healthcare Practice. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with friends and colleagues on social media. Learn more at navigant.com. <laughs>